0: Hello, I'm Fern Cotton and this is Happy Place, the show that's all about embracing the gorgeous messiness of real life.
1: Today, I'm chatting to Amanda Decadney. Intellectually, I, I could write a book about my pathology. I understood it all intellectually, but it was still in my body. And there was a disconnect between my physical triggers and my intellectual understanding. It was like, I understand it all, but that's not stopping me having this visceral response to this situation. I've known Amanda for, God, I don't know how many years. Do you know what? The first time I met Amanda,
0: I just accosted her outside the BBC. I think she was walking in to do an interview and I just sort of went, hello, Amanda Cadney. I'm Fern and I love you very much, very quickly. Um, but we've since chatted a lot, mainly on direct message on Instagram. But I absolutely adore. I adore her. Honestly, she is the most phenomenal force. Like me, she was on British TV as a teenager, first co-hosting The Word and then on The Big Breakfast. But as you'll hear a lot about in a moment, Amanda was completely abused by the tabloids. She had a horrible experience of being in the public eye, which led her to want to quit fame. She moved to L.A., pursued a photography career and now hosts a number of different shows on her own terms. I cannot tell you how much this woman has inspired me. One of those is The Conversation, which is an incredible interview series. My God, I have watched every episode of this show with some of the world's most influential women talking about everything from body image and relationships to human rights and politics, which, to be fair, are also the things Amanda and I touch on in this chat. She is just the most wonderful champion of women. Selling a little or a lot? Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. shopify.com slash work. Here it is. Here is the show. amanda hi fun oh it's so good to see you and i'm so looking forward to just getting stuck into talking to you today because i think you know the last time we spoke was about two years ago terrifyingly you're kidding yeah i think it was two years ago and it was on zoom and i remember it so fondly because i got this beautiful small glimpse into a bit of your world with There were dogs coming in and out. And at one point, your husband, Nick, started making a coffee really loudly and you told him to bugger off. And there were kids. And it was just an amazing glimpse
1: into your whole world and juggling it. And I loved it. I mean, isn't that how it is for you too? I mean, everyone is is trying to, you know, juggle all the plates and not drop anything i think every every working mother for sure is trying to do that
0: yeah i've got um my husband's away at the moment so i've got my stepdaughter feeding the kids dinner and then she's going to put them in the bath and then i'll put them to bed after this and it's just it's always chaos but that's how it is and one of the many reasons that i love you is that you totally embrace the mess of life you well you've written a whole book about it you encourage everybody to do the same because it's unavoidable you can't have a life without the messy bits
1: you just can't I mean I don't there there is nobody if you're a human being maybe like Siri you know (laughs) the the bot on the iPhone has a life that isn't messy but other than that everybody does and so to kind of be in denial about it or pretend that it's not the case which I think a lot of people do a lot of people want to make everything look like it's effortless, and they 're just doing everyone a disservice, but mostly womankind a disservice
0: yeah, totally i don't think my life's ever been messier having kids and trying to do a job that I luckily really love, but it you know it just is, and that 's why I've always been such a huge fan of yours and and have loved the work that you've done and you know I've said this to you before, but the conversation has been you know, such a huge part of me being a parent. It got me through breastfeeding my son nine years ago. I literally binged, I think, every episode during that time when Rex was really tiny. And have loved the continuation of that ever since. And we've obviously got, got quite a few things in common, but one is that we just adore decent conversation. And that's why you started up that show initially. But I know there were other reasons. There were other reasons that are that lie deeper, that are are more um, in conjunction with trying to counterbalance this cancel culture that exists and not being able to explore and learn. I'd love to know more about that and and how you aim to do that with The Conversation.
1: Yeah, I mean, like you said, I started The Conversation, which is my interview series that I've been doing for, I mean, almost nine, maybe nine, 10 years now. And it started at, a time where people were just not really listening to women's stories. It was before this incredible last wave of, of feminism you know, hit. So it was about eight, nine years ago and I was just desperate for answers myself because I had just had my twins and I had really bad postpartum and I was married and I was wondering what was I gonna do about my career because I had two babies to take care of and I couldn't even think about working and I was so overwhelmed. And I just couldn't find stories that were helpful of other women sharing their experiences. And so, you know, I basically made the show that I wish I could have found and I made it from my living room And I was really fortunate that some of the most incredible women on the planet that I could think of interviewing agreed to be interviewed by me. I I feel very fortunate that I was able to do that. And it became this kind of portal for support for women all over the world. Um, That show sold to 18 different networks all over the world. It was translated into many different languages. And um, it was an incredibly impactful show. And it just reminded me that as people in the media, we do have the ability to affect really positive change if we can find a platform to do it. There are less and less opportunities to do so today. And that's why things like, you know, what you do in the world is also so important because you're creating a place of value that people can come to and share their experiences and ultimately feel less alone on the journey. So when I stopped making it as a TV series, I, I did a couple of series and then I, I, trans- I basically moved it into doing it as a podcast and I've continued to do that. And whatever I'm personally interested in or whatever I'm personally challenged with at that time are the people that I tend to reach out to, to interview because I want to learn from them. And I figure, well, if I'm navigating whatever it is that I'm trying to deal with, there's got to be thousands of other women around the world that are also trying to deal with this so what i what i've done is i've i've moved it online and i do it as a, as a podcast um i love doing it but what one of the other things that i realized is that part of growth and such a huge part of growing is making mistakes yes and fucking up yeah. right and if we can't fuck up then we're not going to ultimately be able to learn And you cannot make mistakes in public anymore because of the culture we live in, where it is the court of public opinion and someone says one thing wrong and they get ambushed online. And, you know, that goes on their resume pretty much, which I think is really unfair. And what that has done is it has pushed people, some people, it's pushed them underground where they don't want to speak publicly or they don't want to be in public forums asking questions or learning or discovering in in case they make a mistake and so it's pushed some voices really loud and it's pushed other voices underground and i've always felt like i identify with the people who are more underground um, because i've always had concepts and ideas about things that aren't kind of mainstream yet, necessarily. And so what I've done recently is I launched a private community, the conversation community, where people can basically come and they can you know we're doing courses, we're getting experts in there we're we're talking about things that you can no longer talk about in public through fear of being cancelled and i have to say that it is such a relief to be able to speak freely somewhat freely uh, more freely with the safety of knowing that there's a space that uh, people hopefully aren't going to take things out into the world so that i've found really interesting and helpful and i think we do need safe spaces more than ever to be able to kind of process whatever's going on in our lives.
0: It's unbelievably important. Like I'm I'm very well aware of cancel culture and I'm very well aware of how, you know, it's disproportionately unfair most of the time, but yeah, I'm still absolutely terrified of it, if I'm honest. And I think most people are, you know, I have created Happy Place to be able to have a safe space to talk and for me to learn. You know, I learn every episode that I come away from. I've definitely learned more than one thing. But I've stepped away from some more mainstream broadcasting because I am absolutely terrified of it, if I'm honest. I I don't want to be cancelled. No one wants to be cancelled. I really don't. But I'm desperate to learn. So, you know, you creating that space is so valuable. And, And also, you know, it leads me to think... Are we just meant to know everything? Is that what we're... people? I don't know who these people are, but it's this sort of expectation. We're meant to turn up and know everything and understand every single human experience, every single feeling, every single point of view. We can't. And that's where, you know, we're going to learn great lessons from listening to other people talk, but also asking difficult questions, like awkward, eggy questions that we feel terrified to
1: ask. Otherwise we just won't ever know. You ask a great question, which is, are we expected to know everything? And, you know, the truth is, is I was just thinking about it this morning when I was putting some makeup on and I was thinking, gosh, I've been putting my makeup on since I'm 14 years old. I don't wear much of it, but I still don't really know how to put makeup on past mascara and some lip gloss. <laughs> like, I just still don't know, you know, like my my 15 year old daughter knows more than I do about how to put makeup on. And I was thinking, wow, what, like what, at this stage of life that I don't even know how to put makeup on, I was thinking there's so much I don't know, Yeah, there is so much. And I don't want to know it all. I want to keep learning, I want to keep growing. I want to keep being challenged. I want to keep learning and, and experiencing new things and new ideas and new concepts. It's why I interview people, same as you. And you're right in that we don't know everything, and yet, again, I don't know' we're, we're somehow it, whoever this this omnipresent voices are that think, you know we are supposed to know, and we just no human being does. I think it's just, it's not being honest. It's not being honest. And having difficult conversations is crucial for our development. Having difficult conversations, teaching our kids how to have difficult conversations because life is filled with them. And if you don't have tools to have difficult conversations, then basically you're fucked. (laughs) You are. You just are in the workplace, in your your friendships and your intimate relationships, everywhere, if you cannot communicate and you don't know how to have difficult conversations and tolerate the uncomfortable feelings that come with that, you just, how are you gonna survive? So I think yeah. we're doing people, a huge again, we're doing people a huge disservice by not role modeling that.
0: Yeah, and I think the other, the thing that we're really getting wrong is when we feel that level of discomfort in, in a difficult conversation, rather than just sit with it or or ask the question you're scared to ask, we often turn it on ourselves and we feel shame and guilt and all these ugly feelings that are no use to anyone. They're, they're no use to anyone. What we need to do in those moments is to realise we're all in the same boat. You know, we can't possibly know how every single person feels and every single human experience. We can't. And, and I think culturally we've sort of been... Taught to pretend we know everything. Like, I don't know about you, I still do this sometimes, if I'm really honest. But say someone goes, Oh, you know, classic movie godfather when this happens and I go yeah 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 I've never fucking seen it and I'm like oh yeah I just go I don't know what I don't know what you're talking about I've never I haven't watched the film because we're scared of someone going you haven't watched it what and like what that means for us as a person we need to just get rid of all that and go I don't know I hold my hands up I haven't got a clue I don't know it's fine
1: yeah I think it's it's ego, right? Which is that I don't want yeah. you to look at me like I'm less than you. Absolutely. And so I don't want to expose. I think that I, I, I think that I must be all knowing in order to be worthy on some level. Yeah. Right. Or I feel like I must have sorted it all out and got all the answers to be worthy. It's our own belief systems about ourselves, but it's also not our fault because culturally, we don't have too many examples of women coming out and saying, wow, I really fucked that one up. Yep. And it, no, nobody wants to do that. And so we don't feel like culturally we can say that. So it's not, it's not our fault. But the, 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 for those of us that are honest about it, I think it's so important to keep revealing the truth because it's one of the great lies. You know, it's one of the great lies that we're told that, you know, it's not okay to say you don't know, or it's not okay to say that you fucked up. I did a I did an interview not long ago and, and it was basically about, you know, the the lie and the myth that, you know, women can have a career, have a relationship and be a parent and do it all perfectly. And that is just one of the biggest misconceptions that there ever was. And the amount of women who are feeling like shit about themselves Mm -hmm. behind that myth is just, you know, it's astronomical how many women feel bad about themselves. So in service of the truth, which ultimately is what I'm always after, I feel really strongly about having difficult conversations. I feel really strongly about sharing my vulnerabilities and um, you know and the people that, that you know connect with it great and the ones that it makes them uncomfortable sorry well it's they'll, they'll
0: learn something about themselves that's what the discomfort is at the end of the day isn't it you know anyone that would maybe contest even that theory about being um a, a mom and working or whatever you know I, I i'm always pretty honest on that one i i love my job so i work really hard at it because it's also my hobby and i love being a mum so i do that to, you know, to the best on any given day, but I don't have a social life. Like I, I don't literally either. don't have one. I don't either. And, I, and I've made that choice and I, I'm absolutely fine with it, but I, I can't pretend otherwise. And I will let people down and I will be a bit flaky and I will maybe even upset people if I can't go to
1: things, but it, you cannot do it all. It is literally Fun. impossible. One of the, the things that I'm coming to terms with is that my friend group has gotten very small. Yeah. Now same. I I have a lot of acquaintances and over the years I've had many really close friends but what I've had to come to terms with literally I'm still coming to terms with it is that that group has has really gotten down to like what's on one hand yeah and that at first made me really sad and then I realized that I just don't have the time and I haven't had the time to prioritize outside of my kids I'm married for 20 years. That takes an immense amount of work. Yeah. Ongoing. My three kids: two who are teenagers, one who's, you know, a grown-up and launching her own business and is full-on adulthood, but still needs a mother, and myself, my own mental health, my own spiritual well-being, and my own career. So that's it. That's, that's a lot that's of it. shit to be dealing that's with. That's it. That's it. And and <laughs> one of the byproducts of that is that I have not had time for friends that combined with the pandemic. And I've also really upset people for not showing up to things because I just couldn't, because I had to prioritize something else, you know? And I, and I feel I'm not, I'm not really kind of at peace with it yet, but it is the reality. It's like, there's only 24 hours in the day and I need to be doing all those things. And I have to prioritize my own self care because without me being okay, none of it will go.
0: Yeah, exactly, and you know, a, a huge sigh of relief from so many women out there who go, "Oh, thank God for that!" You know, like I, I prioritise going to bed really early every night oh because God, I so have do I. to. Like, I don't. If someone says, "Do you want to go for dinner?" and then they say, "Sort of eight p.m.," I'm already 6 saying p.m. no. Like six p.m. 6 p.m. is optimum. Yes, Absolutely same, perfect. Same. You've, I, I'm already calculating, right? If I order, I'll be eating at half six. Like, I'm yes. that tragic about so it. So am I. But you have so to be. So am I. Otherwise, yeah. I'd be deranged with tiredness and so massively depleted. So it's a very good conversation to be having in a very honest way for all other women out there who needs to hear that. God, my brain is racing because there's so many subjects and things I want to talk to you about. But I almost want to initially go back to near the start, because again, we've had lots of similarities in terms of life experience in in some ways. And one of them being, we started on the TV at the age of 15. I was somewhat sheltered in the sort of kids TV world. I didn't have paparazzi. I didn't have all eyes on me. I sort of got away just under the radar with doing the job, but I, you know, only sort of six-year-olds would recognise me in the street. So it was, I was pretty sheltered in terms of that exposure. But you went straight into mainstream popular culture with a show that you know you didn't know it was going to blow up like that. But the word was instantly huge. You were instantly focused upon as a teenager, but in a very adult setting. And I wonder how.
1: Well, I wonder how messy that period of your life was. I mean, looking back at that period of my life through the lens that I have today and the awareness that I have today, it was really catastrophic because, I mean, my daughter is now the same age that I was when I started hosting The Word and it was live late night TV. And, you know, I was the youngest person on the show. I was a schoolgirl. Um, and I went from being an anonymous kid to being a household name within months. And like you said, the the nature of the show was that it was a very tabloid show. Now, whether the producers were feeding stories to the tabloids, they probably were. Um, but it thrust me into this really tabloid environment and world that I had no experience of. And I mean, what 15 year old schoolgirl does. And so it was actually, no, I was 16 when I started doing that. But it was really catastrophic for me because I now looking back realized that I just went into survival mode. I loved the job piece of it because I loved interviewing people and I was just genuinely curious about the people I was talking to. I obviously had a lot of courage because I was hosting a live, not live to tape with no delay, late night show. Live, live. So, live, live, which I do love because they can't make you do it again. You're like, whatever you say, you say. <laughs> yeah, I'm going home, bye. Yeah, bye, done, see ya. Um, and I do love that. And I kind of miss that aspect of it, but the tabloid attention and the level of scrutiny and what I would define as bullying was immense and took a huge, my mental health, was really under assault every single day and I lived like that for years and I didn't know there was anything I didn't know there was anything not okay about it because it was how I lived and at the time there just weren't that many famous people in England if you were one of them it was like living in a goldfish bowl yeah and to be you know I look at my daughter and how she's developing her identity and she's individuating and she's you know, she's growing up. And I thought, my God, I did this. I grew up under the scrutiny and the vicious bullying scrutiny of the UK tabloid media. And I think it really was extremely detrimental to me. And I I don't understand how, you know, how this behavior is okay and how it's, it hasn't changed much. No, that's actually. the, that's
0: the uh, unbelievable thing. It really hasn't. And we've seen... So many people fall victim to it in the worst possible ways. And there, there hasn't been much
1: change. And it's, that's terrifying. It, there hasn't been much change at all. And what, what that level of, I'm not talking about just people talking about you. I'm talking about vicious yep. attacks, verbal attacks, photographs, like just attacking every single aspect of you. And not everyone makes it. Not everyone makes it through being famous. Yeah. Uh, we've lost a lot of people to that level of scrutiny and harassment, and people's mental health really suffers to the point where some people aren't here today. Do
0: you think you've healed fully from it? Because, you know, I'm listening to you talk now. I know I, know I haven't. I really know that I haven't. And my, my, that
1: scrutiny for me came later, but I, I know I'm still not okay. Yeah, I wouldn't, I would say that, you know, unfortunately for my family, I left the UK at 20 because I I literally left food in the fridge and laundry in the hamper because I couldn't take one more News of the World cover story about how fat I was from having been pregnant and had a child. And, you know, this, the horrendous commentary on my body and what happened to me, Amanda DeFlabonet and just horrible, horrible. And as a 20 year old that had just had a child, it was, it was just way too much for me. And so unfortunately for my family, you know, I moved away and moved to Los Angeles as far away as I could get because of that scrutiny. And that's really affected my family and my relationship with them. I couldn't really go back to the UK for about 10 years. I was so traumatized from the experience and I just wanted to be an anonymous person and it's taken me up until this point in my life to even be able to talk about the experience because I had so much residual trauma and anxiety in my body when I would talk about it, I would literally go into fight or flight again. And so it's taken many, many years and I don't think that people understand the, the detrimental impact that that level of harassment, because there's, there's nothing, it, it is harassment. Yeah, it's harassment um, and bullying. Because they dehumanize you. You, you. It's complete harassment. And there should be, there should be, and I don't know why there aren't more protective laws in place. I know that in America, we have laws photographing children of famous people, but there is not enough. There's no protection in the UK. It's just game on. So I think I kind of intentionally tried to not be famous for many, many years because I just wanted no part of it. And it was a shame because ultimately I really love my job, but if being famous, I really stepped away from anything that involved me being in front of the camera. I would say for a good 10 years because I just needed to heal. I just needed to not be the focus of that level of of, you know, a verbal assault to be honest.
0: And did you do any specific therapy or or have any particular coping mechanisms that have got you to the place where you know you are openly talking about it you've written about it in your book you are able to come back to the UK you are thank God able to use your skill set and use of experience to keep doing a job that you love
1: was there anything that that helped? A lot of things helped I mean my first solution was to drink a lot and do a lot of drugs when I was a teenager that was my first solution to kind of not be present with the uncomfortable feelings because i didn't even know what was going on and then when i got pregnant with my daughter atlanta when i was 19 obviously that had to stop and that was the first period of time that i had to feel feel the feelings and i pretty much put myself into therapy at that point because the feelings were so uncomfortable and i just was overwhelmed with despair and grief and confusion and sadness, because there are, there are great things about fame too. It's not like it's all shit. There are amazing things about fame, but then there's this other side of it that is at that time really did cancel out the benefits for me. And so I put myself into therapy. I have done over the years, all kinds of different healing modalities. I don't think you know, it's a bit like an a la carte menu and you have to find things that work for you. Yeah, I've become somewhat of an expert on my own trauma. You know, I've done psychotherapy. I've done um, a lot of different trauma work. I've done EMDR. I've done somatic work. I've done neurofeedback. I have done, uh, you know, all different types of meditation. I still meditate daily. I try to exercise you know, and just get my body moving. I swim or I walk. Um, I've been in therapy, some type of therapeutic process pretty much consistently since I was 20. And do
0: you think you've got it out of you physically? Because that's the bit I still find tricky. Sometimes I can navigate the cognitive part of it and I can get to the reasons, get to the meanings, get to the truth, but there's still a big physical discord where I don't feel safe in certain situations still. And I actually, well, I can't put myself in them. Yeah. And there's, you know, there's even stuff in my diary next week that I'm very, very nervous slash slightly terrified about because it's a bit too close to some of them. But I'm willing to try. And, you know, I've done a lot of EMDR, which I have found very, very helpful. But do you think it's out of your
1: physical system? Well, that was the big... One for me, because intellectually, I, I could write a book about my pathology, right? I'm sure you could, right? Mm-hmm. I understood it all intellectually, but it was still in my body. And there was a disconnect between my physical triggers and my intellectual understanding. It was like, I understand it all, but that's not stopping me having this visceral response to this situation. Yeah. And so the, the work that I did around that was I went to the Hoffman Institute and the Hoffman Institute is an incredible organ- uh, place. They have one in the UK and they have one in uh, two of them in the US. And it is very intensive somatic work where you are connecting your body and your emotions and your intellect, basically. And they do it in a really incredible way that bypasses your brain. And so you mm. are fully in the felt experience and you are processing through that. It was so intense it was so brutal i wanted to leave every single day but i also wanted to really be free of this kind of bondage that i had been shackled by for so much of my life and i would say that probably 75 percent has been processed out but there are still things that I I have to continue to work on. And, you know, I I have places and things as well where I just, I'm just not able to do it. Yeah. And I just, I just have to know myself well enough and to say, you know, I just, I just can't do that thing. I just cannot go to that place. I just, I just don't have it. Yeah. And that's okay. You know, that's okay. Knowing yourself is part of it. But I think finding those healing modalities that, solidify all the different aspects of us. It's an ongoing, it's, it's an ongoing process. I don't know that I'll ever be like fully, you know, healed, but I definitely feel a lot closer than I've ever been.
0: That's so bloody amazing. I mean, it's so amazing. And I know, you know, I've read your book twice, actually. I'd sort of refreshed, I'd read it a couple of years ago, but I thought I want to reread it ahead of this chat because your 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 life stories that you share are so interesting and obviously a lot of the chaos started even before that period of your life because there were elements of your childhood that were very extreme and the circumstances that, that you found yourself in, sort of leaving home so young after your parents' divorce and sofa surfing for a bit and living in squats and then eventually ending up in a children's home. And I think, again... So hugely valuable to read stories like that. So other people don't feel defined by their backstory. You know, there have been certainly parts of my life where I have felt fully defined by circumstances that I wish hadn't happened or that I feel deeply uncomfortable about. And again, in this book, you give people permission to get rid of that and go, no, like you can have the backstory, but you have to cling on to
1: it. You can you can move through stuff, you know, deeply painful stuff. Well, thanks for taking the time to read the book again, because I do know how valuable time is and I really do appreciate that. I loved it. Thank you. Um, What do I want to say about this? I too was very defined by the things that happened to me in my life. And I think what is really important to know is that this is my life. And once I realized that I had a choice in what I allowed my life to be. Sometimes it feels like I'm never going to be free of some wound, you know and i'm not and 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 maybe I won't be, but I've certainly worked through and healed so many of the things that defined me for many years that I was holding on to, and even when I think about the word survivor because you know, I have survived a lot, but I don't identify by that because I don't want to just be a survivor. I am, want to thrive. Surviving is just getting by and I've spent a large part of my life just getting by, just like, okay, let me just get through another day. That isn't a successful life for me. I don't have a judgment of the periods of time where my mental health was in a state where I was just surviving and just getting through the day but I want more periods of time where I'm thriving. That's the goal is to actually enjoy and experience joy. And I think for so many of us that come from immense trauma, for whatever reason, whether it was how we grew up or whatever stage of life it is, it's really hard to experience joy. I mean, I didn't even know what it was, you know, when someone asked me like, what brings you joy? I was like, I I don't know. Did you have a sense of like not trusting it if it did show up? Well, yeah, because it was like, well, when's this going to end? Yeah, And you know what it is going to end, because all exper- all all of it ends, all of it changes. you know, but that was too scary. It was too scary to allow the experience of joy because, well, when's it going to leave? And, and I had to learn even what brought me joy, you know, I mean, I try to do every day something that brings me joy, even if it's like one of the things that brings me joy is when I go for a walk, I stop and I smell people's flowers. <laughs> mm, that's so nice. <laughs> I'm like that person that you see, like sniffing your flowers, oh, I love you that. know, your flower box, you know, um, I don't do it to everyone's flowers just the really (laughs) really long walk (laughs) good looking ones um but like that brings me joy i love that smell and i love and i love beautiful flowers so i try to do something every day that brings me joy because it gets my brain out of the negativity rut and what are those things it took me years to be able to experience it you know and a lot of people don't even know what brings them joy they've got mm. no clue. It's a big question isn't it because especially when you yeah.
0: you're a parent and or you know you're a carer you've got the responsibility of other humans you can get so lost in that. I think most people who look after kids or care for family members feel completely engulfed by that. And there's a period in the book that you you talk about where you acutely ask yourself that question where you'd had your first daughter you're 20 you're going through a divorce, you don't know many people out in Los Angeles, and you don't have a job because you'd left all of the craziness behind in the UK. I actually wrote down the four questions that you ask yourself. One of them is, what brings me joy? One of them is, what is unique about me? One of them is, what can I contribute to the world? And the other is, what can I learn to move me closer to that? And I wonder, is that mm. are those four questions you know, is that a good framework for most things in life for you? Do you go back to those questions and ask yourself that?
1: In some way, shape or form, yes, I do. And in fact, I'm in a period of time right now where I'm asking myself all those things again. And the answers may be what they were last time I asked myself that, but they may be different. If they're different, I have to be brave enough to walk towards whatever that is. And it can be really scary to ask yourself those questions, but I don't really have a choice in when they come up. It's when I feel something inside me isn't quite aligned. And it could be personally, professionally, could be all of them. And I've kind of got them in all areas right now where I'm going, huh, what brings me joy? What am I uniquely able to do? How can I be of service to the world? And myself, not throwing myself out with that. And then what are the steps towards that thing? And and I'm in a kind of contemplative phase right now of asking myself that you know, and maybe it's like stage of life and my kids are individuating. And, you know, I've been married for 20 years. And, you know, it's like, what do I want to spend my time doing? I I ultimately have to be open to whatever those answers are. And it's scary. Yeah. Fern, it's <laughs> it, scary. I, know. I think, you, you have know, to as make well change. as I do. you have
0: to then do something about it. You can't you know, just flatline and keep doing the same shit. When you ask yourself questions, you have to do the change bit. And we're humans and we hate change. We find change so hard. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role,
1: like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today.
0: The first time you asked yourself these questions, you ended up turning to photography what what drew you there what was the pull was it you know I was imagining it was an element of your controlling the visual here you're controlling totally the visual of what is seen and and how it is commented upon yes you are exactly right I I love that
1: I was first of all I was I had been photographed by some of the most incredibly talented photographers that we've got um, and so I was I was learning from them. I was always really curious, you know, and I, and I wanted to, them to photograph me so I could see how they worked and I could learn. And ultimately I'm a storyteller. I will use any medium I can. I will use audio, I'll use TV, film, video, iPhone, podcasts, audio books, photography, I don't care. As long as there is a way for me to communicate something, I'm a storyteller. I'm interested in other people's stories. I'm interested in the human condition and, and I'll use whatever medium I can. And I think photography for me was a great way for me to get my point of view across without it being my face. Yes. And it, and it, and so I could be removed from being the subject. Um, I was sick of being photographed. I was sick of being, you know, forward facing. I just wanted to, I realized I'm a storyteller. And so it was fine for me to be behind the camera. And I also wanted to create images of women that I wasn't seeing because I was seeing hypersexualized images of women that were most of the time taken by men because so few women were successful photographers who were at that success level where they could photograph somebody like me at the time or you or whoever, right? So it was all guys and some amazing male photographers, but there was just no women. And so I wanted to take photographs of women that showed not just like blatant sexuality which there's nothing wrong with but that's just one note. Yeah. What about sensuality? What about that? What about all the the everything in between um you know sexuality and boredom? What about what about all the other emotions and expressions that women have? Why am I not seeing those? I certainly feel them. And so for me it was also an opportunity to show a wider range of women, and show more um, authentic expressions of women. And that's why I picked up a camera ultimately. In the first place, it was to photograph myself because I was sick of the photographs that were being taken of me. And I was sick of not having ownership over my own narrative. And so I, I actually started by doing my own shoots when I had a TV show launching or a film or whatever, a project coming out I would do my own pictures and it was before selfies so I had to like set it up was before digital cameras it was on film so I didn't know what the hell I was going to get but I got some things that were good enough to get published and that's how I started was wanting to take control of my own narrative and then I realized when I was still interviewing people still on tv but also taking photos I was like oh hang on a minute one thing brings me a lot of pain which is being famous the other thing brings me a lot of joy. Yeah. And it just, I could just feel it, you know, when something just feels right. Yeah, it's
0: exciting. It's so exciting. Isn't it a
1: nice feeling? But I'm
0: sure not without hardships, being one of the very few female photographers in Los Angeles at the time. And I'm, pretty sure that was one of the catalysts for you to start Girl Gaze, which is again is another brilliant community you've set up for
1: women, creative women to connect with each other and work together and form a network. Yeah. I mean, you know, unfortunately for me, I picked another career that for a woman to succeed in is really, really difficult. The glass ceiling was so low. I, I couldn't even get off my knees. It was so stifling. It was again, so painful to realize, wait, my gender is holding me back. It was like, I've chosen two careers as someone who's a broadcaster. There are so few women who are given agency over their own shows. So few. Still now, that's the case. Still, I know. And that is bullshit. Yeah, I can't think It's the think same of, in the UK. Yeah, like in
0: the UK, they're, all the chat shows are men, as far as I
1: Fun. Can, it's, can see. it, it and, the, and in the US. yeah, There's like Kelly Clarkson who does- daytime. Ellen's going off air. Women are allowed to be in daytime TV because they can talk about cooking. They can talk about light, fluffy stuff, which I've never been interested in doing. When the conversation launched on Sky in the UK, I came back and I did a bunch of press and I said, so who are the women who have got their own shows? Because I want to go on their shows and talk to them. And I was told that there weren't any women. There was a show called Loose Women, which first of all is just the most insulting title. (laughs) And I was like typical of typical that that's the name of the one show that's hosted by women. Uh. (laughs) I was like, what is going on here? I've been gone for 20 years and no women have their own show. No, no
0: progress, 20 years, zero progress. Burn, what are we going to do? I don't know. To you've do already started doing stuff because you've made this amazing, amazing platform again. Like what I love about you is you go, I see a problem. And rather than just rant about it and go, ah, this is wrong. You go, I'm going to do a solution over here. And the solution is you this to. or that. It's brilliant though. It's brilliant you that you to. do that. It's just You have to. But you phenomenal. know what? It is
1: exhausting though. Yeah, because yeah. What, if, what would it look like if we had support? What would it look like? If someone actually valued and appreciated what what I was making, or the fact that you don't have a fucking show is just dire. Do you know what it's I? Dire. For some
0: reason, I don't fit onto the TV. I, I've had a you know over the years an undulating TV career, r- relatively solid in sort of terms of audio, but for some reason, TV wise, like you know, you talk in, you talk in the book about the value of getting fired. I've been fired from TV, I couldn't even count, even recently. And obviously, you know, I've said this before on the podcast, but you don't get told when you're getting fired from telly. You're just not there anymore and someone else is and no one explains why. And again, it can eat at your self-confidence and self-esteem and all that sort of stuff. But, you know, it's why I've luckily been able to create my own
1: little world over here where... Um, well, you've done it too. Yeah. You've said, "Okay, I'm going to go make my own thing." Yeah. If yeah. I don't fit here, I'm going to create a space. Yeah. I mean, I but what if well you didn't me. have to? Yeah, I know. That's what I'm saying. I know. Like, like when I made the conversation, no one would give me money for that. Everyone said, "Oh, yeah, you're going to talk to like you know all these women like Lady Gaga and Gwyneth Paltrow and." Uh, you know, Zoe Saldana and Alicia Keys about their life experiences. Yeah, no one's going to come and do that and no one would give me money for it. And so I I literally was down to my last $2,000, which I had got from some photography job because I couldn't earn money as a photographer. And I put it into using my cameras and renting audio gear and doing interviews with people. And then I learned how to do Final Cut Pro and I cut interviews together. Wow. The sh- sound was shit because I did not know how to do audio. and But it was enough that people could now see, oh my God, this girl knows what she's doing. And she is right. All these people are coming and talking about these things, really intimate, personal, life-changing experiences. Yeah. And it was only then that someone gave me money to make the rest of them. But what if someone had appreciated and valued what I was doing out of the gate? That would have been a whole year of me struggling and trying to make something without support. And I feel like it's still the case today. It is still the case that a very small amount of women are given that level of authority yeah. and, and autonomy. T- and, and, and inherently, I, I think that's really wrong because the balance of perspective is completely skewed. Yeah. Now, whether you want to be on TV or not, the fact that someone like you who's been doing what you've been doing for as long as you've been doing it and have the skills that you have and have the awareness that you have, we need more people in broadcasting, who are aware, who are conscious, who are compassionate, who do give a fuck, and who are really good at what they do at the same time. Yeah. And, you know, it's tragic to me that that it's tragic to me that the two careers i've chosen as a broadcaster and as a photographer (laughs) that women are just still so marginalized oh i know but
0: then but it's all for a reason because you're here to do this work and you're here to make massive gargantuan change and it's for me so exciting and encouraging to have someone like you out there doing it and to make it look so enjoyable as well, which I know it's not. I know it's a big challenge a lot of the time, but what you create, the content or the platforms that you're creating are so massively enjoyable. So I, I'm, I'm hugely grateful for that. And, and and looking at other issues that hugely plague females, I would Maybe be as bold to say disproportionately, although I know it's not a a totally female centric issue, is around body image. And it's something you, again, you've been extremely open about, uh, which for me, on a very personal note, has been hugely helpful yet again. because I had, you know, my own stuff going on in my 20s, 10 years of on off being bulimic and something I've only really made peace with, you know, in the last few years to be honest with you so the more people having this very open honest discussion the better because it's not like this problem's gone anywhere you know women's bodies have been overly sexualized but also i mean in in terms of commentary but also just commented on and commodified. dissected commodified. and commodified I for mean, like hundreds of years, yeah. hundreds of years. But but there is this, or maybe it's worse these days because we're all taking it so personally, like we're flawed. There's something wrong. Of course, there are lots of exceptional activists out there doing brilliant work. We've had, you know, a couple of people on here, Megan Jane Crab springs to mind immediately. Who's doing amazing work in that space of body positivity, whatever you want to call it. But I wonder considering you were so, out and out bullied back in the day, en masse and publicly, very specifically about your body. Have you made peace with your own body? What is your relationship like with your
1: body? Complicated. Yeah. Most of the time I am at peace. And and I feel and I've worked really hard for that. But the fact remains that culturally, women who fit a certain physical curriculum are treated differently. And that is just the facts. When my body is looking a certain way, it is considered more optimal. No matter how much I tell myself, you're optimal at any weight, as long as you're healthy, no matter how much I positively reinforce myself and I use all my tools and I, 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 I do what I need to do to take care of my, myself and my own perspective on my body, the minute I step out the door, I am treated differently based on how I physically look. And that's just the way it is. That's just the way it is. So no matter how much positive self-talk someone's going to do, unfortunately the world we live in does not adhere to that. It does not care. It cares about uh, you know, having the same size boobs that are going not in different directions which mine do? It cares about not having a giant footer, which I have because I've had three children, including twins, and I don't want to live in the gym. I want to. I don't have time. Yeah. I want to do a bunch of other stuff with my life. It cares about Botox and filler and the size of your lips and the size of your ass, and it cares about what weight you are and it cares about what size you can, what size outfit you can fit into. And I can tell you that even when I post things on social media, when, I, when I'm when i less scrappy and I've bothered to put some mascara on or something, people respond to that picture way more. <laughs> they just do. They just I do. I know, fuck. I could Ugh. be posting about women's rights, but if I've got lipstick on, it's just going to get more attention. Yeah, I know. What the hell? And so it is, I mean, look, we just had the Met Ball that coincided with the absolutely devastating news that the Supreme Court is apparently, allegedly looking to overthrow Roe v. Wade, which means that women in America in 50 states will at some point most likely not be able to seek safe abortions. Now these two events coincided with each other and it was so interesting because I was thinking, "Wow." I wonder who's going to continue now. Fine, post about the outfits at the Met. But I wonder where the focus is going to lie because these two events happen simultaneously. And people started posting news about the Supreme Court over an image of Kim Kardashian who had let people know that she lost 16 pounds in three weeks to fit into Marilyn Monroe's dress. And so people started using the image of her and she looked great but a lot of people are up in arms over the fact that she said she lost 16 pounds in three weeks to fit into a dress and we all know what it takes to lose 16 pounds in three weeks yeah people were posting an image of her with the supreme court news over the top of it which i thought well that's great that exactly yeah, genius talk that that highlights this dichotomy that of a world we're living in where yes enough people care about women's rights but we're also dealing with just as much media coverage over this fucking dress. More, like so much
0: more. Like Kylie Jenner wearing a baseball cap. I I don't care if she's wearing a fucking baseball cap. Who cares? I don't don't give a shit. Who cares? I don't care about any of it. it. It is so wild and it does throw up such interesting debate. I mean, I think the only fact of it is that we're, you know, the solid fact is we're so easily distracted. We're easily distracted from like huge issues that need all eyes on them and, and, well, and back that's to, to shame
1: but but back to what we started off talking about which is uncomfortable feelings yeah it, it it brings up uncomfortable feelings and then by the way some people just might not give a shit about women's rights they're like yeah. so what so what women can't have abortions who cares there will be those people they're not going to publicly say that I mean maybe a few will there are a few in my comments who are saying that but um but you know, it's down to uncomfortable feelings and whatever it brings up for people. They're just like, I don't want to deal with that uncomfortable feeling. Let me talk about Kylie Jenner and her baseball cap. <laughs> God. This is We're not my people. are just looking for the quick sugar this fix. Is not aren't my people. Yeah.
0: I know. I know. It's so interesting. I mean, I never get particularly vocal on social media about that sort of stuff. I don't even know why. Sometimes I just think I want to stand back and watch this so I understand I it all a bit thing. better. I do the but same thing. I think. Thing, um, I think, yeah, we are we are very, very easily distracted. And then even sort of looking at the Kim Kardashian thing, like, you know, there are so many angles to that debate on the female body. And again, it's, you know, what it triggers for you because some people might say, well, don't patronise women that we're going to be so desperate to just do what Kim Kardashian does, you know. But then other people will say, this is really unhealthy for young women. I think sort of all of it's true. And it's it is. Th- it's all... So complicated, so complicated. But something really interesting talking about female bodies is something I saw you talking about on Instagram recently, is that you're part of the Victoria's Secret collective, which Mm -hmm. I know. And you put a long bit of copy on this Instagram post. It wasn't like you were just going, hey, I've joined this thing. You know, you were talking about the fact that at first you were massively worried about it, slightly cynical about it, and then, you know, really had some big, deep discussions with the team and worked out what the crux of it was. So it felt right for you. So talk to me about the reasons why it felt like a good idea in the end.
1: Yeah, so when Victoria's Secret first reached out to me, I, first of all, I thought I was getting punked or something. I was like, I am the last (laughs) person Victoria's Secret are reaching out to, it can't be real. Um, But it was actually a friend of mine that was collaborating with them and had reached out to me to say, look, this is what this company is wanting to do. This is a company that we all know has had a lot of historical, very problematic, and genuine issues. And we understand that at first glance, you might just say no, but we just want to share with you what it is this company is trying to do. And so when I actually took the time, because I never want to just shut people down, I always feel like when someone is genuinely, again, Going back to, are people allowed to change? Are people allowed to grow? Are they allowed to learn? Are they allowed to take accountability and take ownership for mistakes? And depending on what those mistakes are, obviously, are they allowed to come back? Now, when we're talking about a corporation, it's very different to a person. So, you know, I was not interested in some kind of like being a band-aid for a company to try to kind of have some performative activism. I was not interested in that at all. But having spent months talking to leadership within that company and understanding the massive change that they were taking internally and externally and what their goals were and their objectives were, I really thought what an incredible opportunity to reach 70 million people, women mostly, globally on that platform between all of their social and their their websites. What an incredible opportunity. If this company is really serious about creating positive change for women around the world, what an amazing opportunity to have access to all those women to help be a part of that positive change. And so i really left those months of conversations feeling really excited about the opportunity that was being presented and i take it really seriously and you know i'm sure there are days where they're like wow you know we probably signed up for more than we thought with this one (laughs) you know but but i have to say that i do take it very seriously and i'm very dedicated to creating positive change especially in areas that are ripe for positive change. You know, preaching to the choir, staying within your echo chamber is boring to me. Yeah. You know, I've been I've been in those bubbles for years. I'm interested in talking to people that haven't been exposed to ideas and concepts and you know, narratives about women that I promote that I'm a part of and what an incredible thing to be able to do, you know. Yeah. So, I I'm really enjoying it because I host the Victoria's Secret Podcast. Can't even believe I say that. The Victoria's Secret Podcast. I do. I host it and it's good voices. <laughs> and um, you know, last series we talked to, you know, Megan Rapino, Naomi Osaka, Priyanka Chopra, Haley Bieber, Bella Hadid, Paloma El Sessa, Adut Akesh. Those are all the women in the collective. And we talked about really life-defining moments because those are the kinds of interviews I like to do. And yeah, no it, surface with you, no, zero. No, let's just get to it. Let's um, get to it. And this series, I'm about to talk to women who are trailblazers in, in their different areas. And to be able to bring that type of storytelling to the existing Victoria's Secret audience community, which, like I said, is global and 70 million people, as well as bringing new people I mean, it's a really incredible opportunity for me, and I'm and I'm enjoying the challenge of it, and I'm enjoying being a part of positive change. And I, yeah. I, I, I am. I don't have to say all this. I'm saying this because it is genuinely my experience, and um, and I and I love a, I love a good challenge. You love a good challenge, and I think my main takeaway from this
0: particular chat with you today is 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 around change is and 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 the many forms that will take whether it's allowing other people to change which I think we put less focus on you know giving people the space to try again to be different to do something new to change and to give ourselves that same opportunity which sometimes we don't feel we've got the opportunity to do so but there's always a chance for incremental change in some way even if it's tiny increments that no one else can see leading to something. I think it's deeply shit scary at first, but just utterly beautiful. And with the issues, you know, we've only scratched the surface with some of the issues that that you focus on, that you're passionate about, but also obviously globally, what everybody's facing at the moment. So we're going to have to do a a part two at at some point because you and I could quite literally keep talking for months. We could. And I Um, just want to say,
1: Fern, you know... There's a lot of lip service paid to women supporting women. And a lot of people who profess to doing that don't actually do that. And I just want to thank you for being a woman who really does walk the talk in that area. Because every time I've reached out to you for any kind of support, you have absolutely jumped on it and been gracious and willing and so generous. So I just want to acknowledge your support of me and to thank you. Oh, God. Well, it's the very
0: least I can do because you have brought me so much joy and an encouragement in my own way in my in my career and life and sort of ongoing healing. So it's the very, very least I can do. And I very much enjoy, you know, this is the best part of my job, getting to meet brilliant people and, and getting to have these conversations. It's quite literally a privilege every time I do it. So once again, way. Amanda, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Fern. Oh, Amanda, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for being the biggest cheerleader of all of us, all of us women. I bloody love being able to chat about all of that with you. Thank you, Amanda. Season two of VS Voices, that's Amanda's interview series for Victoria's Secret, kicks off in June and the conversation about the men is launching in August. That podcast will see her having these brilliant intimate conversations with men. I'll be back next week, so make sure you're here with me and my gorgeous guest by clicking the follow button on your podcast platform of choice. Until then, a huge, huge thank you to Amanda. A massive thank you to the producer, Anushka Tate at Rethink Audio. And to you brilliant lot for listening. Honestly, if you weren't here, there'd be no point. So thank you so much. I love (laughs) you.